pull those out now. There are some at the back on the, the uh, stand. Feel free to help yourself. If you'd like to borrow a Bible as they're being handed out, please do so. Or if uh, you'd like to follow along at cornerstonealliance.info, uh, sermon notes are there for you as well with hyperlinks to the passages, and you can even take notes um, and have them emailed to you later. You can also take notes on the, uh, the handouts, and you can fold it. It fits into your Bible perfectly, and keep a record of those as well. If someone wants to bring me the clicker, it disappeared, probably put it away. So if someone near the back, if you know what the clicker is, um, then I'll use that in a second. So anyways, a letter to Philemon. Um, this is a, a very short book, a very short letter. It is the shortest letter that Paul wrote. And maybe you're thinking, Philemon, I don't remember, you know, a letter called Philemon. It's, it's like one page. It's one chapter, so there's not chapters and chapters, just verses. And it is, uh, comes uh, near the end. So I don't know if, if you're aware, but uh, the, all of the letters that Paul wrote, Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and all that stuff, um, they're not ordered in our Bible according to how, when they happened. It's not a chronological ordering, or it's not an order of theological importance. Basically, it goes from longest letter, Romans, to the shortest letter. That's how they basically organize it. So Philemon is right at the very end of the big chunk of Paul's letters. The book right after Philemon is Hebrews, and Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. Some people think it might have been Paul, but it's not, uh, it's not considered part of the, for sure, Paul letters. Well, that's something else. So it's at the back, right after Colossians. Philemon's often put together with Colossians because Colossians is a little bit longer, and some of the characters in Philemon are also in Colossians, and Colossians is easier to preach on. Uh, Philemon is sometimes hard to talk about because uh, Jesus' death and resurrection is not mentioned uh, explicitly in any of the verses. And it's the only letter that Paul wrote that does not mention Jesus' death and resurrection. So it makes us wonder why, why is this important? Maybe it's not that important. You know, it's kind of at the end of his group of letters and it's small. But actually it is extremely uh, important and relevant uh, to us today. And even though it's just one chapter, um, the more the, the Bible works this way, right? The more you... You read it, the more you study it, the more you meditate on it, you think, wow, I could, I don't have to try to squeeze out one or two sermons. There's like a whole plethora, like a month or a couple months long of, of sermons. That's what the Bible is like. I know you've experienced that too, right? You've, I've read that before, but I don't remember reading that, and now it's really sticking out to me. So over the next two weeks, uh, we will look at this letter to uh, Philemon. And um, it's short, so we're going to read the whole, the whole book today. Don't worry, it's not that long. And um, so if you have that... Um, just to open up with, though, I want to, um, to show this video. It's about a five-minute video, and it just goes through the whole, we can do the whole book, right? So we're going to do this. Some of you may have seen it. It is from, um, what are they called again? It's in your notes. Bible what? The Bible. the Bible Project, yes. And they offer everything they do for free. So you can go to that website, find Bible studies and videos on each book of the Bible and themes. Uh, they're supported. Um, by, by donors. So this is um, a video. Just watch this. You can follow along in the back of your, um, your handout if you want or on, the, uh, on your um, phone as well. So go ahead, we'll play this video now. Paul's letter to Philemon. It was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments, and it's actually his shortest letter in the New Testament, but don't let its size trick you. It's actually one of the most explosive things that Paul ever wrote. Here's the backstory that we can piece together from details within the letter. 
Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus and he became a follower of Jesus. Then later, when Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of a church that met in his house. Now, Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. And at some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe it was theft, or maybe he cheated him. We don't exactly know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. Eventually, Onesimus came to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And in the process, he became a follower of Jesus and then a beloved assistant of Paul. And so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation as he writes this letter. He's going to ask Philemon not just to forgive Onesimus and receive him back, but to embrace him as a brother in the Messiah and no longer as a slave. Here's how he does it. Paul opens with a prayer, first praising Philemon and thanking God for the love and faithfulness he's shown to Jesus, to his people. And he then paves the way for his request with this line. I pray that the partnership that springs from your faith may effectively lead you to recognize all the good things that work in us, leading us into the Messiah. Now, a key word here is partnership, or in Greek, koinonia. It means sharing or mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and share in it, becoming partners. Paul's saying that faithfulness to Jesus means recognizing that all of his followers are equal partners who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. And for Paul, this experience of koinonia among Jesus' followers, it's not just an idea that you think about, it's something that you do in your relationships, which moves Paul onto his request. He finally brings up Onesimus. He says that he's become Paul's child in prison, meaning that Paul led Onesimus to dedicate his life and allegiance to Jesus, and so Paul and Onesimus are now family members in the Messiah. He's been serving Paul faithfully in prison, and even though Paul wants to keep him around, he knows that this unresolved conflict with Philemon has to be reconciled if they say that they're followers of Jesus. Which moves Paul on to his bold request, that Philemon receive Onesimus back, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother in the Lord. Now, this is a really tall order. Under Roman law, Philemon had every legal right to have Onesimus punished or put in prison. And Paul's not only asking him to forgive Onesimus, but to welcome back his former slave into Colossae as a social equal, as a family <coughs> member. This is way more than kindness. This is unheard of. It's freeing a slave and then treating them like a family member. It upsets the status quo of the Roman social order. Why should Philemon do such a thing? And here Paul pulls a brilliant move. He recalls that key word from the opening prayer. He says, if you're truly a partner with me, it's that Greek word koinonia again, then welcome Onesimus as if he were me. And if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me and I will repay it. So in this request, we see the heart of Paul's gospel message being acted out. It's first of all about reconciliation. It's just like he told the Corinthians. In the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. So in this situation, Paul is putting himself in the place of Jesus. He will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing. He will pay the cost 
so that he can be reconciled to Philemon. But Paul's message was about more than just a legal transaction. It's also about koinonia. Onesimus and Philemon and Paul are all equals before God. They all share the same need for forgiveness. And so the ground is level before the cross, which means that Philemon and Onesimus can no longer relate to each other as master and slave. They're family members. They're brothers in the Messiah. Or as Paul told Philemon and the whole church of Colossae, in God's new family, people are not Greek or Jewish or circumcised or uncircumcised or foreigners or uncivilized or slave or free, but the Messiah is all and is in all people. Paul closes the letter stating his confidence that Philemon will do even more than Paul's requested. And he asks him to prepare a guest room because he wants to visit as soon as he gets out of prison. And then with some final greetings, Paul ends the letter. Paul's letter to Philemon is powerful for many reasons. It's the only letter where Paul doesn't explicitly mention Jesus' death or resurrection, and this is not an oversight. He doesn't need to explain the cross with words because he's demonstrating it through his actions. Paul's embodying here the meaning of the cross. He has made himself the place through which Onesimus and Philemon are reconciled to God and then to each other. This letter also shows us that the implications of the good news about Jesus, they are extremely personal and never private. The fact that Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers in the Messiah, it makes their master-slave relationship totally irrelevant. The family of Jesus' people is the place where all are equal recipients of God's grace. It's a new kind of society, or a new humanity, as he called it in the letter to the Colossians, where people's value and social status, it's not defined by race or gender or social or economic class. In the Messiah, there are simply new humans who are equal partners, who share together in God's healing mercy through Jesus. And that's what Paul's letter to Philemon is all about. So there you have it. There's our oversight, perfect, perfectly done, I believe, of the 25 or so verses in Philemon, the only chapter there. There's so much in there that I just want to review some of it and unpack some of it. But one thing that I wonder if you're surprised at, uh, maybe not, um, but um, here's a slave and, who ran away uh, from slave master. Yet Paul, when he writes this letter, he's not saying, free him. Nowhere in this letter does Paul say, you need to free, like this is awful. Slaves, it's, it, free him. Rather, there's something else that is more important that we will get to shortly. And it's, um, it is, there's a slave, it is disheartening, it is, um, not, not disheartening, it uh, doesn't sit right uh, for many of us when we read this, because we'd be expecting Paul to write a letter saying, hey, he's like, don't have slaves, you know? Um, but first century slavery is different than slavery today, and there are a lot of slaves uh, today in our world. It wasn't ended um, recently. There are more and more slaves um, all the time that are trafficked and that are used for different purposes, but it's an awful situation. So if we look at slavery here in Paul's letter with our perspective of the 21st century, it's confusing. 
So I just want to highlight a few things about slavery uh, in the first century that might answer some of your questions, but it may not. But it might help us to understand a little bit about what, why Paul didn't um, come straight out and say, just free him because he's your brother. Because that's, I mean, if I were writing the Bible, um, you know, I probably would have done that. But um, there is much more wisdom in, uh, in words that aren't mine. So is that confusing for you? Like, why, why didn't Paul just like, say that? There are other verses here. Um, throughout Scripture, slavery is a huge theme in Scripture, right? Right from Exodus all the way through Scripture. And even in a lot of Paul's letters, he talks about we are slaves you know, to Christ and you cannot serve two masters. It's, it's, slavery was huge in the Roman Empire. Probably, at estimates, have between 30 to 40% of every single person in the room was a slave. And there were masters, and then they were slaves. And sometimes people are just born into slavery uh, because slaves have no legal status. They aren't citizens. And so um, in, in someone's household, if they're wealthy or they're higher, up, higher class, they might have many slaves uh, in their home. And slaves uh, cannot get married legally, but maybe in that household, they might, um, they might become you know, married and have children. But if those children are, are born to slaves, then they become the master's um, people. They belong to the master. They don't belong to those people who, who their, their mother and father. Uh, slavery is, um, it, was, it was quite widespread. It was kind of like a normal part of society. Uh, doctors were slaves. Farmers uh, were slaves. There was all sorts of occupations that, um, that included this, uh, this uh, slaves. And... Um, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was all good and rosy and, and it, was, it was so different from slavery today that it was acceptable, uh, it, that it would be acceptable. Um, slaves were often treated harshly, and we know that because I'll read the verses, some verses soon where Paul says to slave masters, treat, like, don't be harsh with your slaves. So, and Onesimus ran away. Like, why would he run away unless it was a really nice place to be? It was hard for uh, slaves to become free in the Roman Empire. There was a way, but it almost never happened. One way is you could save up enough money and buy your freedom, but that's pretty hard to do. Um, sometimes if their master, uh, if they would live long enough and the master died, there would be a way for them to become free. But even if they were freed, they're still not citizens. They still don't own anything. And so it's often harder, it was often harder for slaves who were freed than it was when they were slaves. When they were slaves, they had a place to live, they had clothes, they had food. They had a place in society, but for many slaves who were freed, then they had nothing. They couldn't find work, and they had no family, and so they ended up doing you know, some kind of not-so-appropriate occupations to try to live. And, so, uh, and also, sometimes when they were freed, they were still um, dependent on their former master. And they might even stay in the master's house just because it was a safe place and it was good for them. But they were considered tools. Tools are like hammer or like a person. Some tools are living, some tools are, are, are not alive. They were considered that way, so it wasn't all rosy, it wasn't all great, but it was a little bit different than, than slavery uh, today, but also very similar. So it's confusing to us when Paul writes things, like in Ephesians um, chapter 6. These aren't in your notes, but if you wanted to jot it down, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, he says, slaves, he's talking to slaves. So there are slaves in the churches that Paul is writing to. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but that, again, he's not saying free them. 
This is also repeated in Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and 24. Um, that was Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. If you want to write another one down, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 2. Let me read what Paul writes here about slavery. It says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as, their, as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. It's a little bit odd, right, to hear Paul talk about slavery in this way. I mean, Paul is very, when he wants to say something, he's, he's pretty direct, right? In some of his other letters, he's like, if, if he, he doesn't beat around the bush. But in this case, he's, you know, why is he doing that? First Peter chapter 2, verse 18 will be one of the last ones here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. I can, I'll read that for you, but you can write it down for later reference if you want. He says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. See, he's writing to churches, right? So these, the churches had slaves. And not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So there were some masters in the church who were harsh. Uh, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Now, Paul does say, in 1 Corinthians, this is the last one, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21. He does say, if you can get your freedom, then do so. 1 Corinthians 7, 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. So were you a slave when you became a believer? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave, when called to faith in the Lord, is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free was called to, uh, was called is Christ's slave. So isn't that a little bit perplexing? From our perspective today, we would look back and think, and I think that through history, some of the ways that Philemon and other passages that I just read were interpreted encouraged slavery. See, it's okay. It's, it's there. And they had slaves, so we can have slaves today. And that was a misappropriation. Mis, um, not a good way of, what's that called? A application, a misapplication. We know today, I mean, I would not, if I found a, a sex slave or someone who's human trafficked, I'm not gonna say, oh, you know, you stay in your, it's okay. I, I would rescue them, right? I mean, slavery was different back then than it was now, but there's also some overlap, so it's a little bit confusing. Yet, nowhere in scripture do we say Paul encouraging even believing masters to free their slaves. So that's what I would have expected in here, but it's, it's a wonderful letter. But for some reason, Paul doesn't go there because he goes somewhere else. Somewhere where he thinks it is much more crucial uh, to brothers living together. So let's look at that. So I told you a little bit about slavery um, in the Roman Empire. And let's just review, just because when you get different names we've never heard of before, it gets Paul is Paul. Right? He's the Apostle Paul. Wrote all these letters. Okay, leader of the first church. Uh, first churches. Uh, Philemon. Who was he again? He was the slave master. Is that right? Right. Onesimus was the slave. Okay, so Onesimus ran away, and then Philemon was his slave. Philemon was a believer. Paul led him to the Lord. And Onesimus became a believer when he ended up, we don't know if he was 
somehow he met Paul when Paul was in prison in Ephesus, and so Onesimus became a believer. So Paul is Paul, Philemon is the master, Onesimus is the slave. So keep that in mind as we keep reading. The, if you have your Bibles open, uh, I just printed it in larger print so I don't have to keep squinting. Uh, it's 25 verses. Paul begins, uh, he talks about Paul. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And Timothy, Paul, Timothy was like his right-hand man helping Paul write lots of these letters. He writes to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church okay, that meets in your home. So he's writing this letter to Philemon, but also to Philemon's church that meets in his home. So when this letter is sent, it's sent along with the letter to Colossians, it's sent to them. Philemon hears this letter being read to him in front of his church. That's the first time he, he hears this letter. So it's kind of like, you know, there's a new movie and we all want to rush together. Let's get watch this new movie. This is, it might be kind of like their entertainment. Here's a letter. Let's all get together and, and the person will open the scroll and read. Uh, this letter. So Philemon is hearing this for the first time. Can you picture that? What Paul is saying to him, right in front of everyone, in front of his other brothers and sisters. And there's probably slaves in there too, because Philemon had a big home. So that's the context. He's sending this, and then it is read in the church, right in, in the gathering of his people. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I always thank my God as I remember you in your prayers. This is very similar. Paul says this in many letters, because I hear about your love, uh, for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership, that word that was highlighted in the video, partnership is koinonia. There's, uh, it can be a business par partnership, but it's also just a partnership coming together with us in the faith. So Onesimus, sorry, Philemon had a partnership with Paul. Okay, we're, we're the same, right? We, we partner in the faith. That your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So he's, he's, he's together, he and, and Philemon, right? They're brothers, they're comrades, and they are they're, they're partners. They work together for the gospel. And then Paul says in verse 8, he says, I, though in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. I could do that, right? I mean, I'm the Apostle Paul, right? I'm writing most of the Bible here, New Testament. I could just tell you, do it, but he doesn't. Paul says, although I could do that, also, um, it was because of Paul that Philemon became a believer. He says, I could do that, yet, he says, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, me, and he says, an old man, and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, but he's also a prisoner in jail in Ephesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. So Paul is saying, I'm not coming with this authority as apostle or as the one who led you to the Lord. I'm just saying, as an old man and a prisoner at that, and I appeal to you on the basis of love, on behalf of Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, um, do you know what Onesimus means? It's, it's, it's really fun when you, it says I, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. Onesimus means useful. And so Paul is using that to say, you know, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's very useful to us. Uh, often slaves were given names like Handy or I don't know, whatever, or Useful or whatever. Um, so his name actually meant useful. So Paul is saying, you know, he formerly was useless to you, but now he is useful as a brother and he's helped me a lot, Paul says, in my, um, my evangelizing. And, and so, anyways, it's a, Onesimus means useful. 
I think I've told you this before. I think it's quite funny. When we were at Toronto Alliance Church for a couple of years, before being sent back as missionaries to Japan, there was uh, this one really gifted evangelist lay pastor there. And like, you know, those people, everywhere they go, people become believers. And, and so he always would go to the same, you know, grocery store or the same this and, and develop relationships in these communities. And, and one of his mechanic um, was from another country. I don't remember which one. Um, but he kept thinking the guy's name was Useless. It was Eustace. But when he was introduced, he said, oh, Useless, oh, well, that's a weird name, but you know, maybe in their country, you know, it's like, you know, I want to respect. So he, every time he, he called the guy, hey, Useless, and, and he goes, car fix there. Um, and then later he felt, oh, it's Eustace, I felt so bad. But um, Useless actually ended up becoming a believer. So he said, you know, God is working when you call someone Useless, and they still become a believer. So I thought of that when I thought, well, Nismus means useful, but anyways, God is... It's so powerful, isn't he? I wonder where, I don't know where that guy is now. I'd love to find out. Anyways, Onesimus, who became my son, okay, doesn't mean that he had like a physical, you know, like he fathered someone. He did father someone spiritually. So that's what he means. He became my son, became my child. Uh, I led him to the Lord, is what Paul's saying, while I was in prison. Formerly he was useless to you, right? But now he's become useful. He's become Onesimus, right, both to you and to me, I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that I, he could take your place in helping me, right? So Paul and Philemon were partners, and now he's sending Onesimus back. I wish Onesimus could stay with me because he's, he's a great partner, but I did not want to do anything about, without your consent. I mean, you're, the, you're his master. Right? He belongs to you. So that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Remember, Paul said, I can't, I'm not going to force you to do this. I'm just appealing to you on the basis of love. And then Paul says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Verse 15, that very first word, perhaps, maybe your translation says, maybe, just circle that one. Perhaps. This is kind of a side note, but I think it's very interesting. Here's the Apostle Paul. Okay, Paul. And he says, maybe, maybe this is the reason why God did this. Perhaps the reason why you know, he ran away, perhaps the reason why he was separated from you for a little while was that you may have him back for but now as a brother. And that perhaps, I think that's kind of a side thing, but even Paul is saying, you know, we're, we're claiming things, this is God's will, this is why God did this. This is, we don't, Maybe no 100% for sure. Even the Apostle Paul is saying in this case, I'm not saying this is why it happened. He said, maybe. Maybe this is why it happened. Maybe we can see God's work in this, but he's not saying definitively and helps us, I think, to hold on loosely to some things. You know, maybe if this is God's will, let's go ahead and do this and let's keep asking God to be directing us. And you know that happened in the past? Maybe you've been given confirmation that you know, oh yeah, that was God's will, but maybe, maybe it was. Because now something better has come out of it. But anyways, something better has come out of this place. Onesimus has become a, a brother in the Lord. And now verse 17, this is the center. This is the crucial uh, verse. This, this is what this letter is all about. Not about freedom from slavery, but it's about this. He says, if you consider me a partner, right, that koinonia word, if you consider me a partner, Paul just said, I consider you a partner. I consider Onesimus a partner. He's got his arms around both of them, like in that picture in, in, in the... Um, in the handout, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Like, you would welcome me, right? I mean, I led you to the Lord. We, we work together a lot. Just as you'd welcome me, 
welcome him. Reconciliation. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And here you have this line in your notes. This is the center. This is what we're talking about. What God did in Christ for the world. What did he do? He reconciled the world to God through Christ. What God did in Christ for the world, God is now doing in Paul for Philemon and Onesimus. These two brothers, one a master, one a slave. He's reconciling these together. So Paul, for him, more important than freeing the slave is this reconciliation. These two brothers are at odds. Uh, one, one brother, Onesimus, probably did, we don't know exactly, but we can tell whether maybe he stole something. Maybe as a runaway, he needed some money to, to survive for a while. We don't really know, but he did something not right, and he ran away. So there's two brothers in Christ, they're odds, they're not in a good relationship, and Paul is here. More important than freeing him is reconciliation, bringing these two brothers back together. Just like what Christ did, what God did through Christ, Paul is attempting to do with, with these two brothers. He says, if he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Does that sound like anyone? If you've done anything wrong, we can charge it to Jesus, right? Jesus on the cross, like, if you've done anything wrong, all your sins, all paid for by Jesus. Paul says, if he's done anything wrong or owes you, he charges to me. He says, I'm writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self, which is, he means, I mean, I led you to the Lord. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident, he says, of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And then one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I am coming to see you because I hope to restore to you an answer to your prayers. And then he finishes with these greetings. This reconciliation, this theme of reconciliation is another huge theme in the scriptures. You have this in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we read through this, you're going to see similarities to what Paul is doing with Onesimus. Onesimus stole something, maybe whatever he did, Paul said, I will pay, count it to me. Look at this. So from, um, so from now on, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, regard no one from a worldly point of view, okay, slave, free, right, Jew, Gentile, we're not looking at that. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old, the old is old. New is new. It's like new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Right? God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our, that's our ministry now, reconciling. That God, and then he kind of, this is what he means, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Right? Just like what Paul is saying. If he did anything wrong, I'll pay it. Count it to me, I'll pay it. And he has committed to us um, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. If you have not been reconciled to God, we pray, be reconciled to God. It's done for you through Christ 
your sin became his sin, and now it's not your sin anymore. Be reconciled to God. That is the core message of many of Paul's letters. It's the core message of Philemon. And here, we says God, is, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, so here we are, we're, we're ambassadors, and we're telling people, look, you can be reconciled to God, and I have been, and you have been. That seems to be the message here, but for the rest, in other letters and others, we see that reconciliation is not just this between God and us. The ministry of reconciliation includes between brothers and brothers and sisters and brothers within people in the family of God. There's a horizontal dimension as well. Vertical, yes, but also horizontal. And Paul felt this strongly, and so that's why he didn't have to mention Jesus' death and resurrection in the letter. He didn't have to mention this ministry of reconciliation because he was actually doing it. Here's two brothers at odds with each other, and it makes it more confusing in their society. One's a slave and one's his master. But Paul wants them to be reconciled. Just what God did through Christ, Paul is attempting to do, or God is doing through Paul. He was living the gospel. Did I go backwards? Here's just two quotes that are in your notes. It says, there's no better summary statement of the theology of Paul at work in this letter. That's a pretty strong statement. I mean, Romans, that's, that's, that's theologically deep. That's the center of Paul's theology. But here, this uh, theologian is saying there's no better summary statement of the, the theology of Paul at work. You can see it working out in this letter. And then the Bible Project, as you we watched earlier, said Philemon is the only letter where Paul doesn't talk about Jesus' death and re- resurrection. But he doesn't have to because he's acting it out. So it's there implicitly, very quite obviously. So this ministry of vertical um, reconciliation between brothers and sisters and people, you know, there are no more, like maybe um, out in the world there's slaves, right, and there's Gentiles and there's Jews and it was different kind of things, but in the church, Paul said, we're brothers. There is no slave or free. There's no male or female. There's no Jew or Gentile. I mean, out there, that's one thing, but in here, it's new. New creation has come, right? So reconciliation. So if you're, if you're oh, I don't know, maybe it's just our ministry of reconciliation is just to tell people about God and how he's reconciled himself to us. Let me show you a few verses, and then we'll conclude. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. Are you living at peace with everyone in this room right now? Have you done all you can? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone in in the church, everyone who are brothers and sisters. Now, it doesn't completely depend on you. Both parties have to want it. But have you done what you need to do to be reconciled? And if they don't want it, that's fine, but this is Paul's encouragement to his letter to the church in Rome. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can see that that's not, of course, reconciliation with God is, is first and foremost, but then as it works out, we live out the gospel. We live at peace with our brothers and sisters. I only chose a few verses to talk about this. Here's one. This word accept is the same word that Paul uses here when he says to accept Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother. Same word here, accept, welcome, receive one another then. They receive one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 
One way we bring praise to God is singing. You know what another way is? By accepting one another. Because Christ accepted us. Do we deserve to be accepted by Christ? No. But he did. So accept one another. See the vertical reconciliation. Vertical, horizontal. You know what I mean. Another one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. This one is probably the most uncomfortable one. It says, therefore, if, any, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Like, pause what you're doing. First, go and be reconciled to them. Okay, and then come back and finish what you're doing. And then come and offer your gift. You can see that within the body of Christ, within the church community, this brother and sister relationship is extremely important. It's how we live out the gospel. Outside, it's different. But in here, not only is there no slave or free, or no Jew or Gentile, or no whatever or whatever, we're, we're brothers and sisters. And so do what you can to be reconciled. Be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. I don't know if this relates to it or not, but a little bit, I think you get the idea. When I was in Japan, Japan is a very, well, people say, a very hard to plant churches, and, and churches don't grow very much, and the, every single barrier to the gospel is there. Uh, but I interned with a Japanese pastor who started a church from scratch, and they have like a building, which is amazing because land is so expensive, um, and a decent-sized church, probably like 50, which which is huge for Japan. And I uh, started from scratch. He said, you know what the secret to church planting is? Your marriage. The, your, the pastor and his wife, or if it's, or if it's the other way around, the, the pastor and her husband, like that is a secret to church planting, he said. So that kind of, you see that relationship within a church? It's important. What is the secret to having a healthy church? What is the secret to, to growing in maturity? It's this, our relationships with one another. And our neighbors might see that and think, oh, that's a different way of living. Huh. And they would be attracted to that. Oh, that, that's different, you know. So in here, um, the reconciliation is an extremely important part of the gospel. How do we live out the gospel? Let me close with these words. A few questions. Have you been reconciled to God yet? I plead, be reconciled to God. You don't have to do any more than what you're doing. I just accept it. It's like a gift that's been given to you. Maybe it's like a delivery from Amazon. It's sitting on your porch, but you haven't opened it yet. You still have to open it. Someone can give you a gift, and you can just like leave it there, right? You haven't really received it yet. Open this gift. It's a free gift from God. The price has been paid already, and you don't have to pay him back. Have you been reconciled to God? Have you? You know if you have or not. I can't tell if you have or not. Confess your sins, repent, and say, God, I want to be reconciled to you. That's, that's the most important. If you need some help, if you need help to, to pray with you or to, to maybe clarify some things, talk, talk, talk to someone who is reconciled to God. You can talk to me or Pastor Sam or Pastor Jordy or anyone else. We'd love to show you and pray with you that you would be reconciled to God. So, number one, if you haven't been, then none of this relates to you. But please, be reconciled to God. Next one. Is there a relationship right now that you need to experience this healing of reconciliation? Do you live in a perfect world? Do you have a perfect family? No, we don't. Maybe, maybe there's not, but maybe there is a relationship where you need to be reconciled. 
in what relationship do you most, maybe we're assuming there's more than one, so could you choose one? In what relationship do you most need to experience the healing of reconciliation? And you know what? With God, all things are possible. He loves reconciling. I mean, he reconciled us to himself. It's not impossible. If he can do that, he can reconcile um, two people who are at odds with each other. In what relationship? I don't know if there is or not, but maybe God is revealing something to you. Here's another question. Are you aware of a broken relationship where maybe it's not you, but where God might be calling you to be the mediator? Well, I have two friends, two brothers, maybe two sisters, a brother and a sister in the Lord, and they hate each other. They don't want to sit, sit next to each other um, at church. Are you aware of a broken relationship within the family of God where maybe... I'm going to say maybe, as Paul did. Maybe God is calling you to be the mediator, kind of like Paul was for Onesimus and Philemon. Maybe. Ask God to, to guide you in that one. And the last question, what is one thing you could do this week to move toward the relational healing that you need? This might be, maybe you need relational healing in your relationship with God. Maybe you have been reconciled to God, but right, you're feeling really far and distant. Maybe you're not liking what he's saying to you, or you don't enjoy reading his word. Or Is there something, maybe in that relationship, maybe there's something with a, a, a horizontal relationship. What's just, could you choose one thing? I just gave several questions to you coming out of this ministry of reconciliation that Paul was demonstrating to us, but maybe you, could you choose one thing? It's not that hard, right? One? I mean, it could be hard, I guess. One thing is one thing, but it could be a big thing. So before you answer that question, I just want you to ask God. Talk to Jesus and say, is there one thing I could do this week? Like before next Sunday. Just one thing. Make a phone call. Text. Be the first one to reach out. God's love is the love that takes initiative. Right? Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. God went to look for them. He didn't wait for them, you know, to come find him. We can exemplify God's love by taking the initiative. Maybe that's one thing that you could do. Maybe someone has taken the initiative and you haven't responded. I don't know what it is, but um, I'm going to ask you to pray and ask Jesus, what's one thing I can do this week to move toward the relationship healing I need? Maybe it's something with you, God. Maybe it's something with others. Can we do that? That's how we'll close. I'm going to pray for you, and then you can pray, and then we'll ask the, uh, the music team to come up and sing one more song. Heavenly Father, oh, your word is so powerful. It's, it's, it's so good for us. Thank you for your written word. Thank you for your living word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, thank you that Jesus is alive today. God, we live in a broken world. We live in a messed up world. We know that. But we long for when that time, when you come and make this world completely new again. In the meantime, help us to live as if we live in that new world. Help us to restore relationships. Help us to offer and receive forgiveness. And most importantly, God, reconcile us to yourself. Right now, Lord, we are going to listen to you. We're asking you this question and listen. Please speak to us in this moment of silence. Please pray.